Well, this, this, this young preacher was assigned to a new parish, and uh, he was asked to do a funeral service, and he was unfamiliar with the, the countryside, so he ended up getting lost in the woods, looking for the place where the, the burial site was. And after wandering around for about an hour, he finally stumbled upon <clears throat> some men standing around an open grave site. And he began to just apologize for being late. And he felt so bad for the, the one who was being buried that the only ones at the graveside were the diggers. So he tried to preach his best eulogy. And he just preached his heart out to the extent that even the workers there were saying, Praise the Lord! Hallelujah! To the extent that when he was done, one of the workers said, Preacher, that was awesome. I've never seen anything like that. And I've been digging septic tanks for 20 years. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you've given us to come here and worship you. And thank you for us. Fresh coat of paint. It's a wonderful facility that we have that you've given us to come and worship you in. Thank you for your family of believers that come and gather that have been assigned here, Lord, and that they know in their heart that this is where they're supposed to be. Thank you for all the wonderful things that you have in store for us, all the wonderful things that you began to show me and... Um, and the plans that you have for us. Thank you for the plowed hearts and that we are ready to receive the precious word, the manna from heaven today, Lord, into good ground. And all those who will hear this message by other means in the future, bless them all and help them to receive your word and allow them to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I only have a few scriptures today. <laughs> Don't believe me. It's sad. <laughs> you know, there's the times in which we live are just something that can't be ignored. In the early days of this nation, people went to church to hear God's perspective and point of view regarding everything. And that's how they formed their opinions and shaped their lives and votes and everything else as it should be. God said it, that settles it. <laughs> Amen.
But I want to read to you in 2 Corinthians a scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Almost where we were when we did communion. Just another book over. So just a few pages. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's a familiar scripture. But I'm going to keep going to it until you underline it in your Bible. I'll back up to the third verse. We need to sort of get some perspective here. Starting in the third verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul said, For though we walk in the flesh, we're still in a mortal body, even though our spirits have been renewed and our soulish realm is being renewed as we come into agreement with the spirit man inside of us and the word of God through the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. How many of you know that? Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, are not carnal, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. You can circle that word, strongholds. In the fifth verse, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ or to obey Christ. Let God be true and every man a liar, the Bible says. There's a lot of meetings this morning in places all over who don't generally let the Word of God get in the way of their traditions and doctrines or teachings of men that they have come accustomed to rely upon and just believe. And when confronted by Scripture, oh well, a lot of things in there we don't believe, they'll say. <laughs> That's really sad, folks. Let me give you a, a, you know, the battlefield is between our ears. I think Joyce Meyer wrote that book called The Battlefield of the Mind. Exactly right. In the soulish realm, that's where our strongholds develop. It's just a mindset, an opinion of man that doesn't line up with that of God. And when someone gets one that's really deeply rooted you know, Kenneth Hagin used to say, you, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest on top of your head. And that's true. We can control our thought life. If it weren't true, God wouldn't have told us so. Look at Philippians uh, 4 and about the 8th verse, right? One of Tavana's favorite scriptures tells you what to think on. And if God's telling you to think on certain things and not other things, that means you have an option. Yeah. 
You can be glad, sad, or mad. You pick. My mama used to say, you, you laugh and the world laughs with you. You cry and you cry alone, son. <clears throat> Here are a couple of examples. How many of you know that the Jewish people, we, have, we owe a, a large debt of gratitude to them? God temporarily blinded their eyes to the gospel so that the fullness of the Gentiles or us, I don't know if any of you were born Jewish, but anyway, so we were all Gentiles one time, could be brought in to the kingdom of God. And now that's our really our first ministry. I mean, as, as a whole, I mean, don't get me wrong, if you're married, your spouse is, you know, like Miss Norma is Randy's first ministry, you know. No other relationship tops that except for the vertical one that we have. Amen. But really, we owe a lot to the Jews. And there are so many, what they call it, they call them now, they give everything a title, Messianic Jews. That means the ones that have come to believe on the Messiah, Jesus. But you know what their stronghold is in the Jewish community? If I accept Jesus, I'm no longer a Jew. That's their stronghold. Why am I saying this? Because you need to know this if you want to help them. The Muslims, they're a stronghold. God doesn't need a son. And if he did have one, surely wouldn't let him die on a cross. These are some of the strongholds that oppose us. And these are these are that's those just those two groups, those two strongholds. That affects millions, maybe billions of people. You know, I don't know the numbers. You see what I'm saying? Paul says, weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of the divine power. They're supernatural. If they're not natural, they're supernatural. And we have been given these tools. We have to use spiritual weapons to break down strongholds in order to make an impact in the lives of people whom God loves and Jesus died for. You understand what I'm saying? We have the weapons for victory for every area of our lives and not only for ours, but for everyone else in this world. Joey was saying earlier, I, I can feel it. I can feel that the time is near. <laughs> Who can't? You know, I mean, if you're sensitive to the Lord, you know. And something he said, though, after that, that got my attention, he said, man, they're really going to miss us when we're gone. <laughs> Talking about the church. Because it won't be what's left. Where's the truth then? And who's in charge of this world without us? It's a huge assignment. I'm not trying to overwhelm you with grief or this burden, because sheep were never meant to carry backs on the packs on their back. But it's it's just the truth. It's our assignment. Jesus finished his work and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for you now. 
That's why I always tell you, pray. You can, you can pray for the swollen babies and all the guilt stuff they try to put on these commercials and the postcards and all the ministries you've ever given $10 to that send you $500 worth of mail every year. It's okay to pray for them. Nothing wrong with praying. But pray for the ministers. Pray for the workers that will go into the harvest field because they're the ones that have the words of life. They're the ones that can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They're the ones that can share the gospel which can save people's souls. So pray for the workers that will go into the harvest field. Amen. See, we first we have to use these spiritual weapons to help help release people's minds from the strongholds that they suffer from, the minds that are held in captivity, this these lies of Satan. He's the father of lies. And then once they're free, then we can help them to their minds to be brought into the captivity, the good captivity, unto the obedience of Christ. That's where they find life, true life, freedom, victory, love. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above and from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. Look over at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Sure is quiet in this Presbyterian church today. Okay. Second uh, Timothy chapter three. Talk about the end times, the Apostle Paul, starting in the first verse. But understand this: that in the last days there will come. Times of difficulty. Other translations for that are like perilous times or fierce, fierce times. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, Reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. I'm not pleased to say that there are people on church pews all over the nation. Probably got their own gold tag on that pew, like a family of skunks. They just herd in there every week. Always learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. If you've been here for a year or two years, and this isn't self-serving. Nothing special about me. I think that's, that's what makes it so evident. <laughs> you, 
and you applied yourself, you apply these truths to your life. You, I tell people, don't, don't think you've wasted too much time or you've thrown your life away. If you start now, in a year, you'll be ahead of most of the Christians that have been in church their whole life. I'm going to make that better in a minute. Just bear with me. But Paul lists 18 character and moral issues of the day. And I think you all can recognize those attributes in the culture in which we live. And I think you can boil them all down to selfishness. Yeah? Love of self, love of self, love of pleasure, love of money. You're supposed to love yourself? Yes. <laughs> love others as yourself. That's the goal. So nothing wrong with that. You have to keep the proper perspective. Not to be self-loathing or too introspective. But you know what I'm talking about. You know what he's talking about when he's talking about it in a negative light. <laughs> this is the generation of more selfies than anything else. And it's not just about behavior modification. You know, to be free of drugs and alcohol and sexual immorality, which, by the way, is just any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. So, not just picking on the homosexuals. I don't care who you are. The truth is the truth. God loves us all. But His truth doesn't change. Those, But it's not about behavior modification. Those are just... Those should be the simple byproducts of your relationship with Jesus. Be no, truth be known. You know, true grace, if, you, if you're walking in grace, if you're under grace instead of under the law, grace always does more than the law requires. Titus 2.11, 2.12. Grace of God that, it, that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Has to be received by faith, of course. But it, doesn't it say it teaches us to live godly lives? The grace of God is a teacher, huh? Not an enabler. <laughs> So all the, just just cleaning up our act that people think Christianity, that's all it's about. That, that's just a simple byproduct of the, the, the real relationship with Jesus Christ. I said true grace always exceeds what the law requires. Let me just, I better, I better back that up a little bit. I did with two, Titus 2, 11 and 12. But what about Jesus? What do you say? So what did the law say? Don't do not murder, right? Don't kill. Okay. What Jesus say? 
Don't even hate. The law says don't commit adultery. What did Jesus say? Don't even lust after them in your heart. See what I'm saying? The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through who? <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Lord. So grace is the power and provision of God to be and to do all that he's called us to be and to do. We're not do to bees, we're be to do's. We're not doing it to be, be accepted. We're doing it because we've been accepted, because he has empowered us, because we're not changed, patched up and sent back out. No, we died with him on that cross that we just celebrated with communion. And we rose again. That's the picture, the type of baptism. In the Old Testament, parting of the waters, walking through the Red Sea, closing up on the enemies that followed. You see, type and shadow. Received Jesus, buried with him, raised to new life. That's why I don't like to sprinkle people. I'm not going to get in a fight about that. I just believe in holding them under until they really repent. <laughs> I'm kidding. If you were going to ask about baptism and now you chickened out, don't. Don't be scared. I really don't do that. It's a simple process. Just an outward expression of an inner commitment that's already been made, an inner change. Telling the world, look, Jesus asked me to do this to show y'all that I received him as my Lord and Savior. <laughs> uh, many church-going, God-loving people they may not dip, cuss, or chew or go with them that do, but they're still very selfish. I'm afraid that's a fact. And what really sets us apart as Christians is our willingness to serve God and serve His people, serve man. It's about our service. Jesus said, this is how they'll know that you're truly my disciples, your love one for another. Yeah. Not your haughty look because I don't engage in those things that you do anymore. <laughs> you should just be happy about that. <laughs> you might get to go a few more times around the sun. Because you quit all that. <laughs> but what really shows you off as a true believer of Jesus is you love one for another. Isn't that what Jesus said? Matthew chapter 12. See? I told you. Only... Only a few scriptures. Matthew chapter 12 and 25. Not Mark. That's after Matthew. Matthew chapter 12, verse 25. You all with me? Yeah. 
Everybody got it? Jesus speaking here. They were, this is one of the times when these Pharisees, these religious leaders, these hypocrites were accusing Jesus. Who's the accuser of the brethren? Satan. Satan, yeah. So they were using, he was using these Pharisees, but they said, it's only by Beelzebub. That's the devil, the prince of demons. You know what that means? Lord of the flies. Only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Talking about Jesus. That's uh, sacrilege, folks. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And that's true. He was talking about Satan and his kingdom, too, at that point. But one of the main things that we have to be on guard against, that we have to protect against and fight against and re resist within the church is division within the church. That's the enemy of your soul's number one tactic. Did I say tactic? Tactic. <laughs> That's his favorite thing to do is bring division. That's why marriage is so hard. He hates it because it's a picture of Christ in the church and it's the most powerful relationship in this world apart from your personal relationship with Jesus. If the two of you who have become one flesh gang up on the devil, you just really stomp a mud hole in him and his attempts. The devil hates marriage. That's why you see the breakdown of the family in this fallen world where the enemy is in control. He's in control of entire governments in some places. I would say any part of a government that rewards people for not keeping the family together is in league with the enemy. Wouldn't you, based on God's word and his way of doing things. The family is his way. Marriage was ordained by God. The family is God's way. All the things that God calls evil, man can't call good and expect for the enemy not to fill that void and accept that invitation into that area or that aspect of our culture or lives, you see. I have to say the enemy has been very successful. I don't ever like to brag on the devil. I'm not bragging on him now. 
It's just sort of a warning and a red flag to say that he's been very successful, by and large, at dividing the church as a whole. If the church were coming to agreement and be one, you see, Jesus prayed on that faithful night when he was betrayed for us to be one. For the unity within the body of Christ, didn't he? You think he'll get his prayer answered? Oh, yes. He will. I knew a great man of God one time. And he said, well, we are all one. By the Spirit. I said, oh, I see. And he's right. In that regard... We are one when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and we get a new spirit. So oh, it made sense. But the more I read the passage of Scripture, it said, so that the world may see. You can't see the spirit. Hmm? So it must have to do with these other things we're talking about, these external things, the love that we have for one another, and the unity of the believers. So there are some things that we have to do. Is that, am I, are y'all with me? Yeah. Am I firing on all cylinders today? <laughs> okay. Because if the Lord doesn't show up, I'm like Captain Coolman. That's all over, man. There's nothing in me that's worth listening to. No, this is him. <laughs> now listen, we have to be careful not to go along with cults and uh, everything that calls itself Christian. You've, I haven't been too shy about that, have I? And I've also explained why, haven't I? It's not because I don't love anyone. It's because I hate things that hurt God's people or mislead them or create strongholds or wrong-mindedness or opinions that are not really what God's will and His ways are. You see, That's not good because if everything good only comes from God and the only true source of love is God, then anything that opposes His truth is ugly to me. And so I will oppose it and still love the person. But having said that, we have to be sure to embrace all that call themselves Christians in the whole world that are true believers and are committed to acknowledge and serve Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We have to be sure to acknowledge them and love them as our brothers and sisters. Amen. We can't let the things that are not deal killers separate us. 
You know, I used to be a, a pre-trib guy. I didn't think we would have to endure any suffering. Problem is, I can't find that. I can't prove it out. And I read this word. So now I've changed my standing on that. <gasps> Why don't I preach on that? Because it doesn't matter one bit to your eternal salvation. I mean, do you believe Jesus has died for your sins? Do you believe he's the son of God? That Jesus is God? Do you believe he's coming back for us at some point? Yes. Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, it doesn't matter. Believe what you want. I love you. Might disagree, but told a joke about a funeral before we started. That was so funny. I read that to my wife last night. I said, you believe Vivian sent this to me? And I, I said, she's so quiet. This is so funny. I told a, a joke about a, a Christian graveside, a burial, a funeral, right? There's nothing in the New Testament that tells us how we're supposed to do that. Weddings either. <laughs> do I believe in marriage and inviting God into that marriage? Of course I do. But, you know, do you want to get cremated? I don't care. Save you a bunch of money. Probably a bunch of drama, too. I'm not promoting it. You know, I have a good friend. I mean, a friend, acquaintance. Sometimes I call people good friends, and they may say, what's your name again? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Anyway, he, he said, I used to be all for... Just put me in a bag out on the, you know, with the trash. Or then I went to cremation. He goes, now I want a big old monument. So, yeah. Matter? You see, some things are just not deal killer breakers. So don't let those things, don't let the church structure and programs and denominational things kill your relationship with those people. You see, they're still our brothers and sisters in Christ. The things that we are teaching and trying to learn and grow in are the things that the power and the victory and the things that not only help us heal us everywhere we hurt empower us through the promises help us to have a revelation of God's love for us and prosper us in every way those are good things that's good help right we're trying to receive that when a lot of churches are teaching that those things don't exist and they're, they're not for us and that and that when bad things happen, the that it's not the devil doing it, it's God doing it. And all those kind of things that are wrong. They're just wrong. So I don't want to teach those things. And I'm going to teach against them so that you know the truth. And I'm going to show you, look, what it says it right here in the Word. Like Jesus said, they've let their traditions and doctrines of men make the Word of God of none effect. So if they're going to believe in something, at least let them have a, some, let me see it. So I can understand. 
Otherwise, I'm going to believe God, who is good. I found out he's a lot better than what most preachers made him out to be. And I'm always going to stand for that, but I'm always going to also love our brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter what. Now, there are some that, like I said, you've got to be careful because what they really are is cults, and they call themselves Christians. And if they stop short of calling Jesus God, that's not Christian. You're still in your sin. If you want to be a part of that organization, that's not the church. Okay. <laughs> Made that pretty clear, I guess. Not too subtle. <laughs> um, sometimes I think I just started and I <laughs> didn't. Hey, I'm doing all right. Almost done. Last week, I thought it was like half an hour, and I looked, and it was like, and we were, out, we were outside. It was so wonderful. Wasn't that nice? It was wonderful. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. I hope this is all going to come together for you guys. Okay, good. Okay, great. Okay, good. Because I thought I was preaching better than y'all were amen. But I'm not here to stir up your emotions. I like to go to see preachers like that. They can do that. Jump up on the tables and do backflips and stuff. That's good Christian entertainment. But God told me to so slow down teach my people. And that's, uh, that's what I do. Somebody sent uh, Andrew Womack a letter one time, and he said, uh, I was, I was going to be a minister years ago, and he goes, but my wife was against it to the point that she ended up leaving me, and, and uh, just bad things happened, so I just, I got out of the ministry, and I didn't do it. He says, but after seeing you preach, he goes, and Kenneth Hagin, he says, why does God only use, he goes, I'm getting back into the ministry. He says, he says you're as dull as a box of rocks. He said, why, do, why does God only use Hicks from Texas? To and Andrew wrote him back and he says, because Hicks from Texas know that it, it can't be of our own strength and our power. And if the God's not in it, then we're done for so we totally depended upon God. <laughs> I agree. I resemble that statement. Ephesians chapter 6. Even though I have taken heed to the scripture that says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. Haven't we, Randy? I still like to talk about fighting a lot, don't I? <laughs> but now it's a spiritual type of fighting that God had to teach me. To, I had to kenose and empty out everything I thought I knew about warfare. And I had to learn the things we're talking about today. That the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not natural. They're supernatural. They're spiritual. And here in uh, chapter 6 is probably the most famous area about how our daddy in heaven 
gave us his own armor to use while we're here on this fallen planet for just a flash. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm just going to read this a little bit, if you don't mind. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of your might. Did I say that wrong? His might. Oh, not, not our own strength. That's right. May, thank you. That was a trick. <laughs> be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. You see? Anytime you think that it's you that are accomplishing anything good, especially for God, I want you to just get up in an airplane one time and say, look what I'm doing. I'm flying. And then go ahead and step on out of that airplane. <laughs> Makes about the same darn sense. It's thinking that you can do anything apart from him. We can't even walk across this floor without God. You can't draw the next breath. There's just so much to be thankful for. And we need to stay totally dependent upon God for all things. And when you're totally dependent on God and you know it, you makes you a thankful person. And a thankful person will be a compassionate person. And that person is positioned himself to walk in victory and power and the anointing and for the Holy Spirit to use you. You see? God told me a long time ago, he said, I, I got a lot of things I want to show you about everyone that I ever put under your care. As a shepherd, he says, but I have to be able to trust you. Anything I ever show you about someone, it's not to harm them, but to help them. For you to, learn, no, to pray for them. And love them. You see what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit will never work inside of pride. In his mind, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You need this armor to stand against the schemes of the devil. I just told you one of his biggest tactics is division, but also doubt. He's the accuser of the brethren. He always likes to remind you of every bad thing you ever did. You need to remind him of his end. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. People are not your enemy. It's the influence that is motivating them. The, worst, the best thing can happen to the Worst person in your life is for Jesus to get a hold of their heart. You see? We don't fight against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I'm re reading the English Standard Version. It says the same thing. In other words, the devil and his army, which are in control of this world for a time, until Jesus returns, doesn't mean he's in control of you. If you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, then you have everything you need. All things pertaining to life, this life and godliness have already been given to you. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. Remember what I told you before, if the devil knows, oh, just hold on, just just keep coming against this one for a few more minutes. They only usually last about 10 minutes. So he'll go 15. This one will last a day, maybe a day and a half. Go two. You see? So when you've done all you can to stand at your normal breaking point, okay, stand and watch. There will be a supernatural undergirding of strength from the Holy Spirit. He will come upon you. And he will help you and you will get to a place. You will, you will conquer that devil and get to another level. And then God will have begun to write that track record in your life of faithfulness. And you'll say, hey, I'm stronger than horseradish because without him, I'm nothing. But I'm never without my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He will never leave me, never forsake me. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He went home, gave that authority over to me and all of my brothers and sisters in the church. One can put a thousand to flight, two, ten thousand. Huh. And let's just hear what this armor is. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, Jesus said, my words are truth. So and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Why, why is that to cover your heart on the breastplate of righteousness? Because you need to know that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When the enemy accuses you and says that you're not worthy. And as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. See, turn or burn. Hellfire and brimstone. If you don't repent and turn to Jesus, you're going to go to hell. That's the truth, folks, but it's not the gospel. That doesn't set people free. They tried that for 1,500 years with the Jews only, by the way, had that covenant. And it didn't make any of them perfect. What does the gospel of peace, the almost too good to be true news, that Jesus Christ, God himself, made himself like us and died on the cross for our sins? He loves you. He rose from the dead. He lives today. He's waiting with open arms for you to come in. All you have to do is receive it. Just believe it and receive it by faith. That's the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You see? Faith. The provision is in the promises of God. But the promises of God are already there. They've always been there ever since Jesus went to, went, ascended to heaven, haven't they? Are they helping everybody, even all Christians, all the time? No. We need faith. Faith is a hand that reaches out and takes hold of the things provided by grace, those promises. And when you do that, when you believe God and what He has said, what He has provided, as opposed to what the doctor has said or what you see, then that will extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one who's trying to convince you that, no, you're sick. No, by Jesus' stripes, I'm healed. You see? Just just dip that flaming arrow right into that bucket of water. <laughs> that Holy Spirit. That river of love, eh? Take the helmet of salvation... How many of you believe that you're saved? 100%. You see that? And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This Bible, this Word, this is the only offensive weapon that you have. And notice there are no, there's no armor for you back. Run to the roar, remember. The enemy walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's not the roaring lion. Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. This, this deceiving, lying devil is just a mouse with a megaphone. So run to the roar. Praying at all times in the Spirit, capital Spirit. That's praying in tongues, folks. Hello. Paul said, do not forbid speaking in tongues. I wish all of you speak in tongues. I speak in tongues more than all of you, he said. Oh, we don't believe in that. Out of the mouths of two or three witnesses, that means you just find it two or three places in the Word. And, you know, I mean, I don't get it. You know why? They don't believe it? Because they, they've never been walking through Kroger's and the Holy Spirit just took over their mouth and made them grab the microphone and start speaking in tongues. He's not going to do that. He's a loving God for starters. He's, and He's cool. He's not going to shame you. He's not going to force you. Didn't He give you a free will? Isn't this a relationship? Hello? You have a part to play. Yeah. You got to open your mouth and some syllables will rise up and you just got to open your mouth and it'll sound like baby talk a little bit for a minute maybe. And then you'll grow in that and it'll, it'll develop into some beautiful language and you'll find yourself speaking in other languages that you never heard before and angelic languages and it's just too late to unscramble these eggs folks. It's the most powerful thing for the believer. Praying the perfect will of God. It builds you up in love and in your most holy faith. These are good things. Gives you wisdom. You'll see wonderful things come to pass. You pray, you start praying in the Spirit for an hour a day. And don't make a, a doctrine out of that. Just, just watch what happens. 
things will start falling into place. You'll start getting answers to things that you couldn't figure out before. Wonderful things will come to pass. If you need help with this, just please let me know. We have to fight the fight of faith. All that armor I just described, when I said, how many of you believe you're saved? Every hand just goes up immediately. Jesus said, what's, what's harder? To say your sins are forgiven or to say, take up your mat and walk? If you can believe God for your eternal destiny, for the forgiveness of your sins, why can't you believe Him for all the rest? You know what we got in the body of Christ? A bunch of streakers running around with just a helmet on. It's all right, Miss Barbara. Tavana would have probably snorked at that one too. I'll hear her later on tonight. She'll be listening. She's like, last week I was like sitting over there and she's like, ah, you're so funny. <laughs> Thank you, honey. God doesn't need, well, I have to qualify this, but I'm going to just say it like that. God doesn't need your help. He needs your trust. I do have to qualify that. You know, sometimes, you know, just like in Ecclesiastes, you see all those opposites, and there's a proper time for one and, and an improper time for the same thing. Same thing with the Word of God. It's alive and active, and you have to discern the, the context because I say that God does need our help. Jesus went and sat down. He's finished. Church is plan A. There's no plan B. So, yeah, he needs our help. But he doesn't need our help and our strength. He needs our trust to do it his way. To believe him. To be totally dependent upon him. You see, God has a plan. He has the provision for that plan. The timing for that plan. The purpose for that plan. And peace in the midst of it, you see. You don't want to get ahead of God. David tried that, didn't he? I mean, look how David was a man after God's own heart. And I'm, I'm adding scriptures now because I'm trying not to get off. But I just just share this a little bit. Maybe we'll go into it later. But David was a man. Didn't God love David? David loved God. I love David. I love studying his life. But you know, he made some terrible mistakes. But you know, in his early days, when he was anointed king, and for many, many years, he was not king. He was, matter of fact, running for his life from a crazy king. Saul was first choice. God told him it was a mistake to want a king when they had a God, but he gave them what they wanted. Saul was, did good at first, but then he... Saul's problem was the fear of man. He was too more concerned about what people thought than God. 
But then David, you know, David was so humble and, and, and even respected Saul while Saul was trying to kill him. And he was totally dependent. He had that vertical relationship, David was. And even in the when he be, became king, he started conquering. There was still, there was still, you know, there were still some of the lands that God had given the, the Jews that they still hadn't taken possession of yet. There's lessons in that. <laughs> but so they still had to go out and fight wars and things like that. And then they liked to go when it was muddy because they'd get bogged down. So there was a season when they went and fought. <laughs> kind of weird. Kind of like when they used to all stand up in front of each other and just... How dumb can you get? Well, anyway, there was a time, if you remember, and I'll just briefly touch on it, when, when David, it was the time when kings went out to war, David stayed home. David had been quite successful. I'm sure David was thinking, man, I've done it all. I've got it made. I don't even need to go out and fight anymore. I'm just going to stay home. And one day, he gets up from his sofa. or He's been taking a nap. He gets up in the middle of the day or toward the evening even maybe. I don't know. So he's been being lazy. And he looks over and he sees Bathsheba, the neighbor, the, the wife of one of his wonderful, loyal soldiers, taking a bath. And we all know he ends up in some terrible sin with her. He commits adultery, calls her over there. And, and then when it gets found out, instead of just fessing up to what he did, he, he made sure that her husband got killed. He put him out in the front of the hard fighting so he'd get killed. So so that because she was pregnant so that no one would find out had had her husband killed so one thing led to another you see what i'm saying it just and not only that but the because of that god god judged him right the prophet nathan went and told him he, he tells him this story about a man who had a little lamb and this this rich man had a whole flock, and that he took this this one man's little lamb that he had raised up and loved, and he he took and sacrificed it for for the for the dinner instead of taking one of his own. He, David got furious when the prophet told him that he said, "This man will surely die for his sin." He said, "The man is you." So the sword is never going to leave your home. A couple of his sons tried to take his kingdom from him. One of his sons set up a tent right out in open public and slept with all David's wives. One of his sons raped one of his daughters. Another, the other son killed that son for it. Absalom died with the three A's. They all died. This was all because of a, just a brief time in David's life in loving God where he got into his own strength, his own wisdom, made terrible mistake. God didn't stop loving him. God always loved David. But look at all the terrible things. Now, we have a better covenant with better promises. God's never going to put the sword on your house, which will never depart, and all that stuff. 
Thanks to Jesus. You can believe for some crop failure now, folks, <laughs> when you sow that bad seed. But it still shows God's heart, you see. And you can't open every door for the enemy to come into your life. Philemon 1.6 in the King James says that God was, Paul was praying that, that the working of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you. You know that scripture? Our faith doesn't become effective when we ask God to give us something that we don't have. Our faith becomes effective when we acknowledge what he's already given us in Christ. Hmm? This, is, this is something that's really important to learn. If your prayer life isn't maybe what you want it to be, just tweak it a little bit. You can beg God to do something all day long. And I'm not saying there's any bad prayer. There's not. We need to go to God and pray for the things we want because then we know who to thank when it happens. But really, what takes hold of the provision that He's already made through the grace of God, if it hasn't been provided through the atonement of the cross, God's not going to do it by you begging and if it's already been provided through Jesus, then what you need to do is believe. You need to just trust God and proclaim what you have been given in Christ and stand in that victory. Revelation 12, verse 10, 11. And I'll end here. Really. Okay. Revelation chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. <clears throat> I'll go back to the 10th verse. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and authority, the authority of his Christ, have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. There goes Satan. Who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him. They, being y'all, have conquered him. That's that deceiver, Satan. By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they have loved not their lives even unto death. The, the blood of the Lamb, the Word of God, the Word of our testimony. That's how you overcome Satan. Didn't Jesus come to destroy the works of the devil? 
He's defeated, but he's not dead. He's still here, and he's still very actively trying to stop you, trying to steal the word from you. If he can't keep you from being converted to Christianity, he's going to try to keep you from being effective in serving the Lord. You overcome the enemy. You destroy the works of the devil by taking up the authority that Jesus has given you, using his name, declaring the blood of Jesus the word of God, the promises of God, knowing your true identity in Christ. I'm telling you that because i got to tell you this. And God has shown me this little church and all those who are attached to this church and other places. There is a purpose for you. You're called out to be set apart unto God. To know these truths and to live by them. All Christians are, but all Christians aren't. And it has to start somewhere. The devil is not afraid of uncommitted Christians. He's not. We have a lot of weapons. Your prayers are powerful. Your praise is powerful. God inhabits the praises of his people. Preaching is powerful. And proclamation. Your proclamation. You need to, when you have something coming against you, you need to find the scriptures that give you the victory over that. And you need to say them out loud. You need to insert your name. You need to insert your family's name, your family member's name, your spouse's name, your church's name, your pastor's name. One more. Let me look at this. No. I'll start there next week. I did it again. Oh boy. But this is good. Yeah. It's encouraging. It's edifying. It, it builds you up. This isn't tearing you down, there, right? Yeah, we're not. We're not. God loves you. Amen. I love you. Amen. If you went, if you went next week down the road, we'll just say in a two-mile radius of here, and chose one of the other three hundred churches. <laughs> There's no shortage of churches in uh, in this Bible Belt, <laughs> but if you if you went and sat in one of those dead churches, not that all of them are dead. Now, I didn't say that, but there are some dead ones. Some of you have been to some. Hey, if you go to a church 
and they take you in a back room and a bunch of men get in a circle around you. <laughs> That's not God, folks. There are no secret societies in Jesus. Pastors and ministers don't have special privileges, if you know what I mean, in the kingdom of God. You know, there are a lot of little litmus tests. But if you want to know the truth and you want to walk in power and love and victory, this is great stuff. God's still going to love you either way. But man, when I go through that fire, when all of my works go through that, the, the fire of God, I don't want to walk through and come out smelling like smoke. I'll still be in. That'd be good. But I want all of my, all of my works to be judged and, and come out like pure gems, like gold and sapphires and things that don't burn up. Amen. Apply these truths to your life. Start talking to God about these things. It's going to do you some real good. Amen? You know He loves you? I love you too. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so much. We love you. We thank you for your precious word. We thank you for thank you for the people that are hungry for your truth and want to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, the end times are near. And we don't say that to, to scare, but to prepare. Because there's a, a sick and dying world out there that really needs your truth. And so we need to be, we need to have the full armor of God on. We need to walk in these things and these truths. We need to apply them to our lives so that not only will we receive the help that you want us to have from you, which is total, but we can help others with that same help. That's our heart. That's our goal. And it's yours too. So thank you, Lord, for allowing us to partner with you. Thank you that you'll never leave us or forsake us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading and guiding us all the way through this life to our final destination with our heavenly bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.